Well, hello there and welcome back to the History Rocks podcast. Um, quite unusual circumstances today. My foot is elevated at a 90 degree angle. Yesterday I took a tumble in Manchester and the very lovely staff at Wivenshaw Hospital have patched me up together. But who knew that a badly sprained ankle could be quite so painful? Uh, ouch. Don't do it, guys. Be careful whilst you're out on the streets, especially in this wintry weather uh, with all the slippery leaves and potholes. Do look after yourself. Um, I had an email through this week, um, and I'm, I don't quite know what to make of it, but we'll go for it. It's somebody called Majot New Shoes. Um, hello. Uh, they said uh, that just wanted to say I really enjoy listening to your podcast, especially like your little history jokes. They are so bad, but they make me giggle anyways. And sometimes I listen to your podcast with my friends and we all love your jokes. Well, thank you for that. Um, and they've done a little shout out for anyone who's doing exams next year um, and hope that everyone gets the grades that you deserve. Well, I do too. Um, but yes, thank you very much for uh, writing in. And if you do want to write in, uh, send me an email on hello at historyrocks.co.uk. And uh, I will endeavour to uh, do your shout out for you, as long as it's clean, of course. Which means, of course, we need to tell the little joke. This week, this one was sent in to me. And uh, it's truly abysmal. And it goes like this. Why should you not take Alexander II at his word? Because he's sarcastic. <laughs> I know. They get worse. Would you believe they could actually get worse? They do. Thank you so much for that joke, um, and uh, I hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, so today, I'm moving on to have a look at Alexander II's reforms, and uh, we're going to have a look. I'm going to unpack some of them and look at them in quite some detail, because I think sometimes, um, you know, you, you need the sort of data and the facts and figures to help you if you're going to examine his reforms um, and the amount of... Uh, progress that was made. I'm going to start actually with educational reforms um, because that was the first to hand. Uh, so we're going to go through his educational reforms today. Uh, we'll take a look at other things like the military, the judiciary, um, obviously the um, emancipation of the serfs, which is an important one. And uh, yeah, we'll unpack all of those and give you something to think about. I guess the first thing to say when you're looking at his reforms is like, well, what's motivating him to do this? And that does open up a much broader uh, debate, which we can look at later. Um, but when looking at educational reforms, I would say there are a few things, really. I mean, some people will point to the fact that Alexander II really sort of was concerned to do things that would be popular with the people. And they usually give the example of how he, when he just became Tsar, traveled around the Russian provinces, all 29 different Russian provinces. And uh, it was this that made him more concerned to deliver reforms to his people, that he liked to fashion himself as a Western monarch. Um, but I think in terms of the educational reforms, I think you can draw a more direct line to the Crimean War and the failure of it, but also the desire to um, industrialize and modernize the economy. Um, there were several things that were highlighted during the Crimean War. Uh, the Weakness in some of the leadership within the army might be put down to a lack of education. Um, the fact that they were really struggling to supply their army with 
proper weapons and stuff is due to um, a backward uh, the backward nature of industry in Russia. So we know that, for example, only 4% of the Russian army were um, equipped with long-range percussion rifles in comparison to the British army. Um, the, the, where there was about 50% of them had these same said uh, weapons. So it means that you can fire a longer distance with more accuracy. Um and the fact that, you know, they weren't able to mobilize all of the troops to the front because of the lack of decent infrastructure in Russia. All of these things point to the fact that if they were at war again, they're going to struggle against Western Europe because the economy is so backward. So what they needed to do then was to uh, try and modernize it. And if you're going to modernize it, you're going to need people who are educated. You're going to need um, people who can, you know, work out how to build a bridge or, you know, lay some rail track or, you know, um, set up factories and so forth. So you're going to need engineers, for instance. Uh, and they, you know, they are educated people. Uh, so I think this is quite important to um, explain why. I think also with the creation of the Zemstras as well, um, they needed more educated people to work for those local governments. Um, you know, agricultural experts, doctors, teachers, etc. Especially given that the, um, you know, also giving uh, peasantry and so forth access to the legal profession. Uh, they needed legal profession that was educated. So you can see how it all sort of ties into each other. And I think that's why this reform is particularly important um, as well. So let's have a look at some of the uh, the changes um, that were brought in. These were brought in by uh, a chap called Alexander um, Golovnin. He was the first education minister that Alexander II appointed. Um, between, I've seen a couple of conflicting dates for this, um, but I usually say between 1861 um, and 66, 67. So it's just in between those two dates. Now, he is used as um, an example of these liberal reformers that Alexander appointed to his government. Uh, which is an example of his, um, you know, reforming ways, if, you, if you're going to argue that line. So Alexander Golovnin brought in a number of changes, including um, bringing in new primary schools. Uh, so between 1856 and 1878, we've got an increase of 8,000 schools to 25,000 schools um, during that period, with about a million or so uh, students attending them. We've got a change in the uh, the university professors. Many of the old sort of conservative ones um, left um, the profession and new more liberal professors were brought in uh, to replace them. So Nikolai Pirogov would be an example of that. Um, university numbers grew between 1859 and 1899, 4,000 um, in 1859 to about 16,000 um, by 1899. And the control of education was taken completely out of the hands of the church, which, as you know, the church and czarism are very much entwined together. It's a very conservative institution. Um, and so it was quite important that if you're going to sort of reform education, it needed to be removed from their control. Uh, so the Zemspers um, primarily looked after that, plus also, of course, Golovnin himself. 
Um, and universities were given now powers to choose their own professors, design their own courses, discipline their own students. So that's quite a change from what we had previously. Um, lots of new schools, new secondary schools emerging as well. So pupil numbers, I think, um, during this time doubled. Um, so lots of things going on, really. And if you compare where we were in the 1850s, um, there was about a 50% of the population, no, sorry, 90% of the population were illiterate in the 1850s. And that had changed to about 30%, just under 30% by the 1890s. Now, that sounds quite remarkable. Um, and, you know, in some respects, that is a lot of progress, isn't it? But they are still lagging behind the rest of Europe on this one. Um, so they've still got some way to go. Um, there are some limitations also with these re reforms. So, for instance, women were allowed to go and sit a degree, but they weren't allowed to take the exams in it, which, you know, that seems a little odd, doesn't it, really? Um, but also the fact that the university numbers um, by the 1880s only amounted to about 2% of the population, mostly, of course, uh, those from sort of upper class families and so forth, rather than um, the peasantry themselves, for example. Um, you might also note, too, that some of the reforms were mm, fostering a kind of opposition movement uh, that Alexander II is going to face. And of course, the first assassination attempt in 1866 and 67, you know, some of those were involving student number, uh, groups. Um, so the reforms leads to a growing intelligentsia that are more openly critical um, of the government, perhaps less directly of the Tsar, although some would have been. Uh, so, yes, I mean, that's emerging. And then, of course, with the assassination attempts, two of them, 1866, 1867, uh, some historians would argue that there's a bit of a, a shift to a more reactionary stance of Alexander II. He um, now appoints Count Dmitry Tolstoy, who is much more conservative in his outlook. He's now the new Minister of Education from about 1866 onwards. Um, and he starts doing some changes because he thinks that the assassination attempts were in part um, because of the educational reforms that occurred previously. Uh, so, for example, he dabbled in the curriculum of both secondary schools um, and of universities. He told secondary schools they weren't allowed to, you know, teach sciences anymore, for instance. And universities, um, subjects such as history, history itself was banned because it was seen as prompting critical thought, um, which led, of course, to these uh, opposition groups that Alexander faced. Um, now, university appointments um, could be vetoed by the government as well. So if they felt that certain professors were far too liberal, uh, they would step in and prevent that from happening. Um, and equally, the authority of the primary schools, for example, um, was removed from um, the, uh, the, you know, the Zemstvas and they were brought under the control um, of uh, Golovnin himself. So you can see that pre-1866 looks reasonably reformist, um, lots of changes coming through, although 
some of them perhaps not as significant as they could have been. Uh, but post-1866 and 67 um, assassination attempts, the suggestion is, is that um, you know, it's become a bit more reactionary, a bit more conservative in the education policy. Um, I think that's true. Although, of course, women have, were able to continue with their studies um, despite the assassination attempts. But, yeah, I think largely you do see a bit of a, a backwards peddling going on um, at that point. So I hope that was useful to you. Um, obviously, you know, feel free to rewind and make a note of some of these facts and figures as you go. Um, I think that that will have gone some way to, to help you understand it a bit more. We'll move on to some of the other reforms, of course, next time we're together. Um, final thing to note, actually, is uh, there's some really exciting uh, webinars coming up in February, especially directed at those who are in their year 13. It doesn't matter what component you're doing. Uh, we've got some exciting sessions on, on sources, extracts, essays, things like that. You know, if you're really struggling to break through that level three barrier, um, or, you know, you're looking to sort of improve your grade, these are absolutely ideal for you. So if you get onto the History Rocks uh, .co.uk website and go to um, go to the blog on there, uh, you will see a bit more information about how you can join up uh, to those sessions in February. Anyway, I'm going to sign off for today. I hope this was useful to you. Do send in any requests that you might have and I will see you soon.